Well, today is Pentecost, and um, we're uh, thinking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. After yesterday's sermon, for those who heard it, I'm thinking of um, slightly amending and changing my style. But um, probably you think I'm almost there a bit <laughs> there anyway. But um, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I was thinking, reflecting a bit on this one, is like a language teacher. A personal language tutor. Those of you who are language teachers or those of you who have had language teachers will know that they have several tasks. They, they need to teach the skills of the language, uh, you know, the vocabulary and the grammar. Um, but they also need to teach their students how to live in the new language, how to see things in a new way, and how to think in a new way. If you start to live in a new language, you start to make different connections. For instance, one of the things I, I've wondered about is the difference between a language like Russian, which has gender differences deeply rooted in its language, and a language like English that is principally a gender. And that must have an impact on how we think. Or it could be little connections that open up new ways of thinking for you. I had the privilege this week of going to Belgrade. Now, Belgrade's the capital of Serbia. To someone who doesn't know the language, it's just the name of a city. To somebody who knows Serbian or Russian, it actually means a lot more. Or Alexander Schmemann, an orthodox thinker, writes a book that he could never have written if he was writing in English. It's based on the fact that the verb yes means both to eat and to be. And the book is basically, we are who we eat. And it's about communion that when we come and take the bread and the wine, we become like Christ. When you learn a new language, you're not just learning a new skill, you're learning, and I don't think this is an overstatement, a new way of thinking and living. So the goal of a language teacher is not only to teach the skills, but it's to be a companion, a guide to their student, even a friend of their student so that the language becomes part of their students and so that they live in the language. And that seems to be a great picture of what Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit has come to do and what his work is. He's described in our passage as literally, the Greek word is the word paraclete, the one who comes alongside us. Uh, in the old version that's translated as comforter, in more recent translations, in our translation, it's translated as advocate, the one who stands beside us. And actually, I think that's like the heavenly language teacher. And I don't think it's a complete coincidence that when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, the first thing that happens is that the disciples speak in a heavenly language. They speak in tongues. You see, without the Holy Spirit, we're monocultural. We only speak and think in the language or languages of this world. 
But when Holy Spirit comes, we discover another language, another way of speaking and thinking and living. We discover a new world. Holy Spirit helps us to see Jesus in a new way. People who speak the language of this world will speak of Jesus as an Israeli peasant, maybe somebody who was good or bad, a moral example, or someone who was seriously deluded. They'll speak of him as a criminal or a tragic victim, or as a model of someone who was prepared to die for a principle. But the Holy Spirit shows us a new way to see Jesus. Jesus in John 19, 16 verse 9 tells us, Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong about sin because they do not believe in me. When the Holy Spirit comes alongside a person, they begin to see Jesus not just as a human being, but as the eternal Son of God, the one who God the Father sent into this world. We'll see him as God's king and God's ruler. We'll begin to realize that to come to him, to put our trust in him, is to receive life and to be without him, to reject him, is to choose death. We think of sin as doing naughty stuff. There's a great translation in the Book of Common Prayer which says, God, please deliver us from a superfluity of naughtiness. But Jesus' definition is of the root cause of sin, and therefore the Holy Spirit's definition, is that sin is the refusal to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a refusal to come to him, to receive him, or to put our trust in him. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. Peter on the day of Pentecost is speaking to the people about Jesus. He says, this Jesus, you crucified, but God has made him Lord and ruler. And they say to Peter, and they say, what shall we do? Because they're cut to the heart. It wasn't Peter who did that. It's the Holy Spirit. I remember going along many years to one of the Billy Graham rallies in England. Billy Graham stood and preached. I thought it was a very ordinary talk. In my arrogance, I thought I could do better than that. And then he made his appeal and invited people to come forward. And people got up and they came forward. And it was clearly, so clearly, the work of God touching people's hearts through that man. And I know that that was true because there were people who we had taken that day who went forward and they were radically and totally and completely changed. Why? Because as he preached, the Holy Spirit came and spoke internally to people so that they saw Jesus in a new way. And the Holy Spirit, we're told, helps us to see the righteousness of God. Because, you see, when Jesus was there with his, with his followers, they saw the righteousness, the rightness of God. They saw the good stuff that Jesus did. They saw the righteousness uh, 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 and they were heard and they were taught the righteousness. And then Jesus was taken from them. 
But Jesus says, don't worry, because the Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit will teach you righteousness. He'll put rightness in your heart so that you will have a desire. You will know what is good, and you'll have a desire to do what is good. Not because it's a law that you have to do, but it is something that you want to do. St. Augustine famously once said, love God and do what you will. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If we love God, if we put him first, then we will want to do what God wants us to do. We will desire to do it. And Holy Spirit helps us to see judgment, verse 11. 11. And it's when we look at Jesus on the cross that we see most clearly the clash between our monocultural human language view and Holy Spirit view. The old language, the old worldview, looks at the cross and sees Jesus' death as a defeat. They see it as the world's judgment on Jesus for being a fraud and a failure. But the Holy Spirit's language sees Jesus' death on the cross not as the world's judgment on Jesus, but as God's judgment on the world. Holy Spirit sees Jesus' death on the cross as final defeat of Satan and of death. You see, Satan did everything he could to stop Jesus from going to the cross. He tried to kill him as an infant. He tried to tempt him with power and wealth and status. He tried to persuade him through friends, and he tried to terrify him through fear. But Jesus stood firm, and with Jesus, obedience wins, and love wins. And Holy Spirit helps us to see the world in a new way. He is our teacher. He will guide you into all truth. He will declare to you the things to come, verse 13. You see, at the time, the disciples can't take it in. They're in a bad place. Jesus has spoken to them here in John chapter 16, and he's told them he's going to die. He's told them that this meal that he is eating with them here and now is his last meal. And, and they're crushed. But, says Jesus, there'll come a time when Holy Spirit will teach you the things you can't understand now. And we see that. We're told after, afterwards about two disciples who are walking to a village called Emmaus after the crucifixion. They're broken. They're so crushed they don't realise that the person walking with them on the road is Jesus who has risen from the dead. They say to him, we believed in Jesus. We put our trust in him. We thought, we'd hoped, but it all ended in tragedy. And Jesus comes alongside them and he teaches them. He teaches them about the reality of suffering and he teaches them about the reality of glory. And now, now they can begin to get it. The Holy Spirit is our personal language teacher, but he's also our friend, a presence with us, just like the risen Jesus who walked beside those two disciples on the road to Emmaus.
There will be times when we will be conscious of that presence. Some people have very dramatic, explosive encounters with Holy Spirit when he just touches them, floods them, and fills them. Many of you may have had those encounters with God. Not everybody, and please don't worry if you haven't had such an encounter. Yes, long for Holy Spirit, long for him to fill you, ask him to fill you and touch you, but even if you haven't had that encounter, he is still with you. If you've asked him into your life, if you've asked him to fill you, Holy Spirit is with you. And even as we eat the bread and drink the wine, as we allow them to come into our body, use that as a prayer to ask Holy Spirit to come and to fill us. And for all of us, of course, there will be times when we're not conscious of him. For most of us, life is a walk, we're walking through, and we're not aware of him. One of the Puritans describes it a bit like a father walking along with his child. For a long part of the journey, they'll be walking together. Sometimes they'll be in silence. Sometimes the child will be chattering away. Sometimes the father will make a comment. But then the father will be quiet. And then all of a sudden, without any warning, the father will bend down and will pick up his child and he will embrace her and hold her and then he will place her down and they will carry on walking. But even if we do not feel him or sense him by faith, we believe that he is with us and he will teach us as we read God's word. Jesus says he will glorify me, verse 14, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Don't you realise how radical that statement is? With Holy Spirit alongside us, we see this world as ultimately belonging to Jesus. All things, whether music, creativity, natural laws, sex, sexuality, alcohol, plants and mountain rocks, all things belong to him. And Holy Spirit begins to teach us how to treat these things as things that belong to Jesus. We begin to learn to use them in obedience to his word, in submission to his word, and we use them with great thanksgiving. And Holy Spirit helps us to see all people as belonging to Jesus. Rulers, enemies, friends, family, parents, children, colleagues, customers, clients, even your neighbour now. They belong to Jesus. And we begin to learn to relate to them through Holy Spirit as people who belong to Jesus, even as if they were Jesus. And again, I guess that's what happens at Holy Communion. We take bread and wine, very ordinary things, but we look at them with new eyes, with Holy Spirit eyes, and we see how they can be belong to Jesus, how they can be used for Jesus, how they can bring Jesus to us, and how they can join us together in communion. 
So Holy Spirit comes alongside us as our language teacher and as our friend. Of course it's difficult. Of course we're told that it will be difficult. There is a clash of languages between the human languages and Holy Spirit language. There's a clash of cultures between human culture and Holy Spirit culture. And each one of us will feel it deep within us. We will struggle with it. And there may be times when the struggle even is sort of with external situations. But Holy Spirit embraces us like a cloak, like a mantle. And Holy Spirit comes and teaches us and reassures us. And Holy Spirit says it will be rough. There will be suffering and there will be glory. And Holy Spirit says to each one of you and me, you are not on your own. I am with you and I am in you. Amen.